If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you take them please and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Today, we're looking at verses 14 through 16, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Of course, we're following the theme of how to live according to Jesus. And we're getting all of this from what's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7. Today's message, Bright Lights in a Dark World. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Like myself, uh, many of you may recall a little children's chorus that we learned when coming to Sunday school. Let this light shine, this, this little light of mine. There's only a short uh, hymn or, or chorus, only three, three verses to it, very short. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Well, as you obviously know from the reading of the scriptures and the words of Jesus, you and I, the followers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. As uh, Jonathan reminds us in the previous announcements, uh, he did not say that you're the light of the church. He said you are the light of the world. So if we are the church and if we are the light of the world, that means we need to go beyond these four walls and let the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ shine upon a very, very dark, dark world. There are four or five basic ideas that I want us to pursue this morning as we think about being bright lights shining in a very dark, dark world. And the first thing that we want to examine, of course, are the reasons why. What are the reasons for our shining as lights in the world? There are two basic ideas or reasons why we need to shine as lights. And the first one has to do with the darkness of our society, the darkness that describes our society. Jesus said, or in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, the people who were sitting in darkness and in death. So those two words, darkness and death, describes the world in which we live in. Darkness symbolizes two things. It symbolizes, first of all, iniquity, sin, transgression, wickedness. Darkness always symbolizes in the scriptures darkness. If you were to check any criminal record of any city or town in the United States or in the world as far as that go, the vast majority of crimes that are committed are committed at night in the dark when the criminal's acts can be covered up and not be seen. The word dark, darkened, and darkness appears 225 times in the Bible. And a study of those many times in which it appears reminds us again that it is iniquity and sin and transgression uh, that is described by this darkness that we describe in the Bible. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 19, the Bible says, 
The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. The word darkness here is translated in the Amplified Bible as deep darkness. Deep darkness. And he says the wicked are like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Now, the word darkness, I think, that is described here as deep darkness is illustrated in the Old Testament. So if you would take your Bibles, please, and turn to the 10th chapter of the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 10. In Exodus chapter 10, beginning with verse 21 and going through verse 23, we have one of the plagues that came upon Egypt uh, when Moses was there seeking to uh, find the freedom for the people of Israel from Pharaoh and all the people of Egypt. And one of the, the plagues... Uh, that came upon um, the people of, of Egypt, or the Egyptians, was darkness. So in Exodus chapter 10, beginning with verse 21, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. Have you ever been in a place where the darkness was so thick, it was so dark, you could just feel it almost? I've never been to Mammoth Cave in Kentucky, but I'm told that uh, if you ever go on, on a tour of that cave, they'll take you down into the belly of the earth and they'll get you in a place and they'll tell you to stand still, do not move, and the lights go off. And I understand it is so dark in there that you cannot even see your hand if you were to hold it up in front of your face. That is deep darkness. And so the Bible describes this plague of darkness being so deep, so dark, that you could feel it. Man, that's darkness. Notice in verse 22. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was a thick darkness. So there's the second description of it. In verse 21, it's called so dark you could feel it. Now he says in verse 22 that it was thick, thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. This wasn't a darkness that just lasted for a moment or so or an hour or so, but for three days there was darkness, deep darkness that could be felt over all the land of Egypt except for over the children of Israel. It was just like the Lord drew a line down the middle and the Egyptians on one side and the Israelis on the others. Darkness on their side, light on the other. Notice in verse 24. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, go and, well, excuse me, let's read verse 23. Verse 23 says, they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. So there again, the darkness being described, you, you, could, you couldn't see anybody. Even if you were in bed next to your wife or the children or husband, whomever it may be, right, right next to you, you couldn't even see them. It was that dark. And it says that it was over all the whole earth for three days, but all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. So here is an example in the Old Testament of the, well, the plague of darkness that covered all of Egypt except for where the Israelites were. There was light there. And so in Proverbs 4.19 it says, The wicked of the way is like deep darkness, so dark it can be felt, so dark that you cannot even see anyone who may be next to you. In John chapter 3 and verse 19, the Bible says that men love the darkness rather than the light. 
And it gives the reason why, because their deeds are evil. So there are individuals in the world today who do not know the Lord, who are atheists, or if not in belief, certainly in their activity and behavior, as they live as though God does not exist. Uh, uh, to them, there is no God, and uh, they love darkness. They don't want to be told that they're living in sin. They don't want their sins pointed out to them uh, because they love their sin. Notice it says they love their sins. They love the darkness. And so darkness is a covering for sin. Darkness symbolizes iniquity, wickedness, and evil. So darkness symbolizes iniquity. The second thing, of course, darkness symbolizes ignorance. Ignorance. When a person is ignorant... When they are not knowledgeable about a particular subject or experience, we may say of them, well, he or she is in the dark. Ignorance, when compared to darkness, means that one's understanding is darkened and they cannot comprehend uh, what is being said. In John chapter 1 and verse 5, Jesus is described as the light of the world that's come into the world. And in John 5, 1, uh, excuse me, 1, 5, says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Uh, the word comprehend means to understand. It means to grasp hold of it. And when it says the light was in the world and they did not comprehend it, they did not understand. When Jesus came into the world, when he was born in Bethlehem of Judea of the Virgin Mary, when Jesus came into the world, God becoming flesh for us, the people did not understand what was happening. They did not recognize Jesus as the Son of God. Now, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 4, Paul talks about the second coming of Jesus. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, it says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. The day that he's referring to here is the day when Jesus returns. So there were those who, when Jesus came the first time, were in darkness. They did not recognize Jesus. The Bible says that he came into his own and his own received him not. They would not recognize Jesus as God in the flesh, the Messiah, long awaited for. So he was rejected the first time. When he comes back the second time, likewise, people will be in darkness. They will not understand. You talk about the second coming of Jesus to the rest of the world. The people who don't know Christ as Lord and Savior don't understand what you're talking about. And if they do know something at all about the second coming of Christ, they mock you and laugh at you. Peter tells us in the last days there would be those who would mock at the thought of our Lord's returning. So they just don't grasp it. They just don't understand it. Paul says in the letters of 1 Corinthians that, uh, that the people need the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, they can't understand the things of God. It's all foolishness to them. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to them. They don't understand it. They can't grasp it. They can't comprehend it. In school, we learned about the terms called the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages, uh, a time when knowledge survived only in monasteries or in cathedrals or palaces. Even in the time that called the Dark Ages, the Bible, there, there weren't many copies of the Bible. Most of them, if, at that time, all of them were written by hand. The common person could not read and they were not allowed to have a Bible. And so the Bible was chained to the pulpit of the cathedrals and the people were not allowed to read it. They had to have a priest, someone who could read Latin or some other foreign language and interpret it for them. But as far as the common people were concerned, they were in darkness and it was the dark ages. Bible translators, of course, like uh, William Tyndall and others uh, were, were persecuted and, 
and, and, and, and uh, killed, many of them, some of them were, uh, simply because they were trying to translate the Bible so they could put it into the common language of the common people of that day, and uh, they were persecuted for it. Again, quoting Matthew 4.16, the Bible says, The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land and the shadow of death, upon them the light hath dawned. Now the reason why I'm going back and, and referring to that verse of Scripture in Matthew 4.16, Matthew 4.16 is a quote of Isaiah 9.2. Isaiah 9-2 talks about a land where death cast its shadow. Now, a land where death cast its shadow is translated in various ways. The New Living Translation says deep darkness, the land of deep darkness. Barnes' note says thick darkness. And the Amplified Bible says intense darkness. So again, underscoring just how dark a person is who has no knowledge of the Lord, who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and they love the darkness. For everyone who does evil, the Bible says, hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. In preparation for today's message, I read about a desert nomad who woke up in the middle of the night when he was out in the desert and he was hungry. And he had at his bedside a bowl of uh, figs and uh, a date, excuse me, a bowl of dates. And uh, he was hungry, so he lit a, a candle and reached over and picked up a date and put the end of it in his mouth and bit it off. And when he held it out, he saw a worm in it. Well, he immediately cast it out of his tent, and reached over and picked up another date, stuck the end of it in his mouth and bit the end of it off and found a worm uh, in that date. He threw his out. He decided, uh, spur of the moment, he, reasoning that he, that he wouldn't have any dates left if he continued to do that, he just blew the candle out and ate all of them. <laughs> so this world is described as darkness and people love darkness. They want their sins covered up. But not only the description of society, there's the responsibility of saints. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Again, the word you is what we call emphatic. It literally translated means you and you alone. So you as a believer in Christ, you and you alone, myself, I and I alone, we're all lights of the world. Not will be, I hope we will be, have been. No, you are. The word are is present tense, speaking of the existing moment. So you and I as followers of Christ are the light of the world. In Ephesians 5:8, Paul wrote, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, therefore walk as children of light. And so we are saved to shine in the world. So don't hide your testimony. Remember the little song, uh, Hide My Light Under a Bushel? No. Remember when you were a child, you had a little hand action where you held your finger up as the candle and you put your hand over the candle as though you were putting it out? Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. So you are a believer in Christ wherever you are, with your family, at business, in school, wherever you may be, you are the light of the world. You are saved to shine for the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the reasons, the darkness of society and the responsibility of the saints. Now, there are some examples that Jesus gave 
to us in these two verses, and one has to do with a city. He said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It is out there to shine, shine, and shine. In the autobiography that uh, Benjamin uh, Franklin wrote about himself, he tells of the time when living in Philadelphia, he was trying to convince the people, the citizens of Philadelphia, uh, to, to put a light out in, in front of uh, their houses at night so it wouldn't be so dark. Uh, we take for granted the street lights of ours. I, I came this morning to the church while it was still dark. Some of you were still in bed. Uh, but I get, to, I get to church on Sunday morning when it's still dark. And uh, a part of the, the streets that I live on don't have any street lights on it. And it gets pretty dark there. If it wasn't for the lights of my truck, I would be in darkness. But I was reminded once again of the street lights and how blessed we are to have the street lights that we have so that we can see where we're going. But when Benjamin Franklin was alive, there was no such thing as street lights. But he came up with this idea of taking a, a, an oil-filled lamp, put it on a pole, and put it out in front of your house... Uh, so that there would be light in the streets where the people lived, but the people wouldn't buy it. They wouldn't do it. So instead of encouraging them and advising them to do this, he set the example. He took a lamp, filled it full of oil, put it on a pole, and mounted it out in front of his house. And so for a brief time during the night in front of his house, there was light. And the people who came by saw it, and they said, hey, you know, that's not a bad idea. So it wasn't long until other people started doing the same thing. And for long, the whole city of Philadelphia, everybody put an oil lamp out in front of their house so that there would be light at night and you could see where you were going. And there wouldn't be so much crime committed in the streets. And so Jesus is saying, you, you are like a, a, a city set on a hill. Have you ever flown at night? Uh, maybe uh, landed at an airport at night and as you were landing, you looked out the window and saw all the lights of the city? Collectively, all of those lights, they cannot be hidden and they are seen for miles and miles and miles. Jesus said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It's there, it's obvious, it is seen by everyone who looks at it. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Don't hide your light. Not only this example of the hill, a city set on a hill, the second example that he used was a lamp in a house. The words translated candle or candlestick literally mean a lamp or a lamp stand. And so again, they didn't have electricity back then. Not everyone had candles, even though they were not that expensive. Sometimes they couldn't afford them. They'd only light them maybe on a special occasions. There were not that many windows in the houses that they lived in. And so it could get awfully dark in the house. And so if you did have a candle or a lamp, a little oil lamp, you would light it at night. You wouldn't put it under a bushel. You wouldn't hide it in a drawer or a cabinet somewhere. You would put it out there on the table where everyone would benefit from that. And so Jesus said, you are a light like a city on a hill, but you're also like a lamp inside of a house. It's lit and everybody can benefit from that. You may remember the parable that Jesus told uh, about um, in the 15th chapter of, of Luke's gospel about the, the, the lady, he's talking about telling a, a parable about the lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. And the, the, the second parable was about the, a lost coin. And in chapter 15 in verse 8, this is what Jesus said. Uh, or what woman, if, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? 
Uh, so in this example, he's saying, hey, here's a lady. Uh, it was customary in those days to give a dowry for, uh, for a, a man that's going to marry a, a man's uh, daughter. And she had 10 coins. She lost one of them. They were valuable. They were meaningful for her. It was dark inside that house. And so the only thing she had left to do, light a candle, move the furniture, turn everything upside down and search it until you find that lost coin. That's a story that Jesus told about how we need to be out into the world with we are the light of the world and we are to search for lost people and share the light of the world with them. And so in principle, we are the light of the world. Jacob Walker was a lighthouse keeper on Robin's Reef off the rocky shore of New England. After years of faithfully minding the light, he became ill and died. His wife buried his body on the hillside above the shore on the mainland across the river where, or the water where she was. Later, she applied for and received the appointment as the keeper of the lighthouse. And for 20 years, she carried on a loan. And then one day, a New York reporter went out to get her story. She told him this. Every evening, I stand in the door of the lighthouse and I look across the water to the hill where my husband's body is buried. And as I do, always there is this message that I remember the last words my husband ever said to me. Mind the lighthouse, Kate. Mind the lighthouse. Well, that's what you and I are supposed to do. Our church is a lighthouse in this community, and we are to mind the lighthouse. One night, I read about a farmer who noticed a light in his barn. He went to see what it was all about, and he found his farmhand all dressed up and holding a lantern in his hand. What are you doing all dressed up with that lantern in your hand, he asked. I'm going to go call on my girlfriend, the farmhand said. I've got to go through the woods, and it's dark. Well, the farmer said, well, when I was your age and calling on my wife for the first time, I went through the woods without a light. And the man said, well, look what you got. <laughs> so let your light shine, folks. Never know what you're going to get. The third idea is the purpose for shining. What is the purpose for shining? Well, first of all, so that others might see your good works. Look at it in verse 16. Let your light shine where? Before men. It literally means to be out in front of men. In other words, don't be embarrassed or ashamed to let other people know that you are a follower of Christ that you love Jesus and that you've embraced him and accepted him as your Lord and as your Savior. Not so that people will brag on you and talk about you. He said, let your light shine before men in front of them that they may see your good works. Not you, but the works that you do, uh, implying the works that you do for the Lord, the witness that you are. And uh, let people see the kind of person that you are. So, so others can see your good works. And the second reason why is so that they might glorify God. That's what he says in verse, in verse uh, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify you. No, glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
So we're not to live our lives in a way that people would brag on us and pat our, us on the back and say, oh, what a wonderful person you are. It's nice and good to have compliments and so forth, but that's not the reason you do that. The reason you shine is so that people can see the good things that you do in the name of Christ and glorify not you, but the Lord Jesus, the Heavenly Father. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Uh, the Amplified Bible, again, that I like so much says, recognize and honor and praise and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So live your life in a way that people will be pointed to the Lord, be pointed to God. The primary purpose for shining is to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, again, Jesus sets the example for us. So if you still have your Bibles open in Matthew, turn to the 15th chapter of Matthew's gospel and look at verse 29. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 29. Matthew 15 and verse 29. <clears throat> Departing from there, Jesus went alone by the Sea of Galilee and having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there. And large crowds came to him, bringing with him those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So Jesus set the example for us. He did all of this healing of the people who were brought to him. When the people saw it, they glorified God. Well, that's the example set for us by Jesus that we are to follow. Live your life in a way that your good works point people to Jesus and they can brag on the Father, brag on Jesus. Paul said, God, uh, God forbid that I should boast except for the cross of Calvary. He, he wanted to boast about, about Calvary. So we are to do the same. One other verse of scripture before we move on, and that's in 1 Peter chapter 2. So take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. In 1 Peter 2, 12, this is what the, what the uh, apostle Peter wrote. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So yes, uh, if you shine for the Lord, there are going to be people out there who won't like it. Uh, they'll ridicule you. They will insult you. They will rebuke you. They will criticize you. They will laugh at you. But if you are faithful in shining your light before men and women in the world, in society, although they may rebuke you and criticize you, the day will come. He's calling it the day of visitation. That is a reference to the second coming of Christ. And he says the Lord will reward you on that, on that occasion and uh, you will be rewarded for your faithfulness to shine. So uh, make sure that your behavior uh, is becoming uh, that of a Christian, a follower of Christ. Don't misbehave yourself in a way that people laugh and say, aha, I thought you said you were a Christian and yet you do this and this. You have this kind of attitude and, and yet you're supposed to be a Christian. Uh, 
Uh, no, if they were to criticize you, make sure it's for what you are doing in the right way and for the right reason. And when people criticize you, you just you may not uh, have comfort and encouragement at, at that particular moment, but don't give up and don't quit. You stay faithful to the Lord. The day will come when God will reward you for that. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father. And what are the requirements for shining? Well, there are three of them. First of all, there's surrender. It's the little word let, L-E-T. A brief, just one word, so short and yet so meaningful. The word let means to grant permission, to allow something to take place. And so he's saying to his followers, allow this to happen. Permit this to happen. Let your life, it involves surrender. You, you just surrender your lives completely to the Lord. Christ says, let your light shine. When you are right with God and filled with the Holy Spirit, he will simply shine through you. In Acts chapter 6, you have the record of Stephen. We know him as the first martyr. As far as we know, the only one, first one recorded in the Holy Scriptures in the New Testament as a martyr. He died for the Lord. Uh, it says of Stephen that he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 6, 15, as he was being stoned to death, it says of him, they fixed their gaze on him and all who were sitting in the council saw his face, that it was the face like an angel. In other words, his face just radiated and glowed like an angel's, like an angel's. He was letting his light shine. I read about a little boy who asked his daddy a question. How tall was Jesus? His dad said, well, son, nobody really knows. He probably was about six feet tall. And his son said, well, I'm only four feet tall. So if I'm four feet tall and Jesus is six feet tall, he's sticking out of me, isn't he? Sure he is. Is Jesus sticking out of you? When people look at you, do they see Jesus? That's what it says of Stephen, stoned to death, his face just radiated and glowed. Just like when Moses came down out of the mountain, they took record by his face, he had been with the Lord. And when you're in the presence of the Lord and you're filled with the Spirit, it's going to be evident in the life that you live. And, and, and you let it happen. You surrender to the Lord. A second thing is sacrifice. Let your light shine. Now, no candle can burn uh, without it being burned up. It will be consumed. Every candle that's lit, that will happen to them. It is said of John the Baptist, he was the lamp that was burning and was shining and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So John the Baptist, the forerunner of our Lord, let his life shine for Jesus. He was the one who announced the coming of the Lord, prepare you the way of the Lord. But it cost him his life. He was beheaded because of his preaching the gospel, presenting Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, exposing men, especially Pilate, of, of, of his sins, Herod of his sins of adultery. It cost him his life. A candle cannot be burned without being consumed. At Pentecost, in the second chapter of the book of Acts, it is said the 120 people who were gathered in the upper room were praying, waiting for the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. Joel and when it happened, it says this ball of fire came and broke up into flames and a little flame appeared above every head of the 120 disciples in the upper room. They allowed themselves to shine for the Lord. We are to do the same. You do it 
by sacrificing. If you stand for the Lord, if you shine for the Lord, it will cost you. But in the end, when the Lord comes to visit, you will be rewarded. The third requirement is sanctification. Sanctification. The word sanctification, uh, briefly redefine it, break it up, means to set aside. A brief um, abbreviation, it would be saint. Uh, a saint is just an abbreviated word for sanctification. Every Christian, you are a saint. I am a saint. Because it means that we're set apart from the rest of the world. We are not of the world. We're not of the world of spiritual darkness. We're walking in a world of spiritual light. We've come out of darkness. God has separated us from the world. So we are sanctified unto the Lord. To be sanctified simply means you're living the Christ life. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in essence, you die to yourself. You put self off the throne of your life. Quit being an egotistical individual. Don't be a, a, a victim of narcissism, of me, myself, and I. Die to yourself. Put Jesus first in your life. Set yourself apart. Allow the Holy Spirit to set you apart from the rest of the world unto the Lord. That's what repentance is. Repentance is not just turning from your sin. Repentance means you turn from your sins, but you turn to the Lord. Turn from sin, turn to Jesus, and allow Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to fill you with his presence. Hudson Taylor was a pioneer British missionary to China. And uh, one of the things that he did was he founded what came to be known as the China Inland Mission. He won many Chinese people to the Lord. He came home because of his bad health, but he was meet, met by a newspaper reporter who said to him, Hudson Taylor, did you know that people are comparing you to the Apostle Paul? What do you think about that? And Hudson Taylor reportedly said, well, it makes me feel bad because I wanted to people to, to remind people of Jesus, not of Hudson Taylor. So remind people of Jesus, not of yourself, not of yourself. The word Christian, first used according to the book of Acts chapter 11, verse 26 uh, at Antioch. The word Christian was originally given as a term of derision, of mockery, of insult. Oh, those are Christians. The word Christian means little Christ. It means that a person behaves in such a manner, thinks, talks, acts in such a way that it's like being a little Christ. And they said, well, they're acting like Jesus. They're talking like Jesus. When we insult them, they respond like Jesus would. They're just like Christ. They are little Christ. A Christian is a little Christ. Christ living in you, in your life. In the devotional book, Voices of the Faithful, there was a young missionary by the name of Jerry who worked among the Lozi tribe of Africa. One day, word came to her that the chief, uh, the king of the Lozi tribe, was going to come to her church service and then eat lunch with her in her house. Well, that was unusual because the, the kings of those tribes, they, they wouldn't think of going into just anybody's house. Uh, and so, boy, news spread all over the village that the king was coming to church and he was going to stay for lunch in Jerry's house. And so he did. And when he went to Jerry's house, uh, uh, Jerry asked an unusual thing of him. She said to him, people of your tribe find it difficult to pronounce my name. And I'm asking you if you would give me a Lozi name. And he just kind of smiled and said, well, I'll think about it. 
But before he left that day, he went to Jerry and he said, My wife and I have decided upon a name for you. It will be Lishili, Lishili, which means light. Just as the sun gives light and life to plants and animals and people, the king, said, the, the king said, I want God's word to give life and light to the people of my village. Jerry later wrote, I was stunned and pleased to receive this blessing. And after the king left the room, a lady who was sitting next to her said, you are a very blessed lady to be given a name by the king. Well, folks, you and I have been given a name by the king of kings. You are light. That's your name. Your name is light. So let your light shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Put it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. No, don't let him blow it out. You shine, shine. So while passing through this world of sin and others, your life shall view be clean and pure without and within. Let others see Jesus in you. Your life's a book before their eyes. They're reading it through and through. Say, does it point them to the skies? Do others see Jesus in you? What joy will be at the set of sun when mansions beyond the blue to find some souls that you have won, so let others see Jesus in you. Live for Christ both day and night. Be faithful, be brave and true. And lead the lost to life and light. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. May we bow together, please. Oh, Father, that that would be our prayer today. That you, Holy Spirit, would search our hearts and like a spiritual x-ray, just take a picture of our souls and our wills and our flesh, revealing whatever sin there might be that we might repent of it and be cleansed of it, that your blood, so pure and so righteous, would wash away all of our sins and make us bright lights that we might shine in such a very dark world. May we not hide our lights. As we leave this place today, wherever we may go, if it's out to eat lunch somewhere or just to go home and be with family or tomorrow when we wake up and go to work or go to school or to college or whatever we do, wherever we go, remind us, Lord, Holy Spirit, guide us, empower us to shine for you that others might see not us, but our good works, see Jesus in us and come to the light and come to the light. And now as we give this time of invitation and the Holy Spirit leads, if God is speaking to your heart today, you come in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me please? And if the Lord is leading you today, you come please. <laughs>